It's a Friday morning and a warm-hearted good morning to you from our burning issue studio called Brandpunt. Well, with certain denominations making headlines because of viewpoints or certain actions and, of course, the following criticism through social media platforms. Lots of them, we might add. The front pages of the newspapers. One cannot help but ask, what sort of a responsibility do we as church leaders and the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ have, not only towards the body of Christ in this world, but also towards an unbelieving world, not to be a stumbling block unto others? According to an online survey and reports, the greatest single accusation towards Christianity is that we are hypocrites. We're supposed to have a different standard. Well, Brumpent investigates our Christian responsibility, how not to be a stumbling block to anybody. Do stay tuned as we bring you our respondents and their hearts and opinions this morning. Our respondents this morning are the well-known pastor Neville Norden from Levendervoort. Neville, for those who've never met you before, just a short introduction, please. I'm honored to be the senior pastor of Living Word. And uh, we have 15 churches in Pretoria and then churches over the country and in a couple of other countries. And then also a Pastor Tim Cantrell. Uh, Tim, good morning to you and welcome. A short introduction, please. Thank you, Vaynant. I'm the pastor teacher of Antioch Bible Church in Renberg, Johannesburg. We've been in South Africa for 18 years, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching His Word, and I'm also a president of the Shepherd's Seminary. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your input to this program. Tim, let me start with you. In your understanding, what does it mean to be a stumbling block unto others? Thank you, Vanon. The main reference to stumbling block in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 and Romans 14, with reference to other believers who may have weaker or more sensitive consciences on the disputable matters that are not that, that are not clearly forbidden in Scripture, and how we need to be careful of our example so we don't cause other believers to violate their own conscience, and that our by abusing our Christian liberty, which becomes a, a license for them to uh, go against their conscience. Neville, he says it's our responsibility to other believers. How do you understand it? What does it mean to be a stumbling block to others? Well, there's the concept in Romans 14, 21, where he says the right thing is to eat no meat or drink no wine at all, or to do anything else if it makes your brother stumble or hurts his conscience. And the concept there is that if I really care for my brother, I don't want to do something that will cause him to stumble. I know people, you know, when the prodigal came home, they didn't slaughter the fatted pumpkin, but they slaughtered the fatted calf. But when I'm with a vegetarian and uh, it'll offend a person, then for that person's conscience sake, I'll say to the person, would you mind if I have meat? We won't speak about wine because that can be a controversial issue. You know, like Paul says to Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I normally tell the people, you're not Timothy and there's nothing wrong with your stomach. But if you're going to cause somebody to stumble, then you're not acting in love. And love is sacrificial always because it's agape love. 
You both make the reference to weaker believers, weaker Christians in the faith. Truth is, we are being watched by the world as well. In fact, they call us many times hypocrites. Is that your understanding as well, Tim, that we are being watched by unbelievers on a daily basis? Absolutely, Vanon. Jesus tells us the world will know that we are Christians by our love. In a sense, it gives the world permission to examine the truth of the gospel, not just by our words, but most of all by uh, our uh, actions and our relationships. And uh, often the Lord warns His people in Scripture about not doing things that would cause God's name to be blasphemed among the Gentiles. And uh, there's a whole chapter, Titus chapter 2, that warns about older men and uh, older women, younger men and younger women, behaving in any way that would uh, not adorn sound doctrine and that would cause the Word of God to be slandered, First uh, Peter talks about that as well in the context of the world's persecution and hostility. They're wanting to know, is Christ real? Uh, is the tomb actually empty? Uh, is the gospel credible? Is God uh, true or not by our lives and our holiness and the purity of our churches? Well, making reference about Gentiles watching us, the people of this world on a daily basis. Neville, being head of a church, Leaven of Word, is that your understanding too, that we are being carefully watched by people in this world? And why do they even, why do they call us hypocrites then? I normally try and teach my congregation and say to them, people don't read the Bible, but they read you. And what do they read? Because if we should make people jealous, are we making them jealous by our lifestyle? The Zulus have a beautiful saying. They say, sir, your life speaks so hard, I can't hear what you're saying. So in everything I do, I've got to assess that. Is my life speaking louder than my words? Because uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that we are to be ambassadors for Christ by word and by deed. So if what I say and what I do are two things, we use a simple term with the young people, you're walking and you're talking, don't jive. Tim is referring to our walking and our talking, and certainly we have a testimony to a dying world. No doubt we're messing that up terribly. How can we be a testimony unto a dying world if we ourselves disagree on so many issues? Well, man, that's a crucial question, and thank you. And I think it's very important, first of all, to define who is the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the, the prophets in the Old Testament and the Lord Jesus and the Apostles prepared us that in the last days many uh, would come and claim to be of Christ, but not actually be of the Lord. And so we have to first define what is a true Christian, what is a true church, according to the Bible standard, and what God says, not what man says, and according to the true gospel of uh, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from there, then we can say, yes, true Christians and true churches built upon the true biblical gospel should and must be unified, but even Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, it's necessary there be divisions among you uh, in the Corinthian church that it might be seen, those who are approved. So it's better to be divided over the truth than to be united in error. And there's many who claim to be Christian churches today that have rejected the true gospel and do not practice church discipline and do not call people to repent and believe and preach a, a health, wealth, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel that is 
is not the true gospel, it's a false gospel. But surely, Neville, then we should handle our disagreements differently, the things that we disagree mm-hmm. on, because by the looks of it, we splatter it on social media, on the front pages of the newspapers, and the world says, there goes the Christians again. Whenever we stand for a truth, I cannot, um, I want to put it from this angle, within me lives the line of the tribe of Judah. And when I speak and I speak God's word, that brings forth a roar. But if I speak my opinion, and sometimes we're opinionated and we judge one another, and part of the fast that the Lord calls us to is to stop the pointing of the finger uh, to accuse. We find that Adam accused Eve and Eve accused the snake, but that did not bring forgiveness or righteousness. So in accusation, there's no redemption. And uh, we have to come to a place where we say, uh, brother, I'm sorry, that was my understanding. Or we get to a place where we say, let's agree to disagree, but let's have at least the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and friendliness. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, in the literal translation, let your friendliness You know, and to all men, the Lord is near. So I always challenge my people and say, are you on a diet of lemon juice? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, and God's joy is that your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. So even if you haven't got things to rejoice in, rejoice in the fact that your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Tim, both of you are leaders of a flock, have a responsibility as as leaders in the church. But what about church leaders that is a stumbling block unto their congregation? What advice can you give? What would you like to say? Absolutely. That's a huge problem, Vanon, that has destroyed the Christian witness and caused great damage down throughout church history. It's nothing new. But it is uh, an alarming problem that has to be addressed within the church. First Peter chapter four says judgment must begin with the household of God, and First uh, Timothy chapter five outlines how to deal with a disqualified pastor or elder who is no longer blameless according to the biblical qualifications of an elder and should be removed. And if he is not willing to repent and step down as he should, then and if the accusations are proven by two or three witnesses in a church that is willing to follow biblical church discipline, according to Matthew 18 as well. Then in 1 Timothy 5 says, then he must be rebuked in the presence of all, and uh, he must be removed from leadership uh, for the sake of Christ and the purity of the church and the witness of the gospel before the a watching world. According to your knowledge, do we still do that? Do we still apply those scriptural instructions? Absolutely. If we are a faithful Bible-teaching church, I see nowhere in Scripture that we are permitted not to do that, and we must obey God rather than man. Neville, in your understanding, church leaders, that's a stumbling block to their congregations. What advice can you give congregants? What advice can you give Christians? You know, I was in a church where a pastor was living in adultery, and I'll never forget that morning when the group of pastors before the congregation gave him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh and the salvation of his soul. Now, I thought I was going to die a thousand deaths because to be in a church like that where somebody's handled, handed over to the devil, that was very traumatic. But something happened in that the woman that he had the adulterous relationship with, 
when he told her, she laughed. But a week later, she was killed in a motor car accident, and the fear of God came on this man. Not that God kills people, but when people go out of the protection of the Lord, they become fair game to the enemy. And something of the fear of the Lord has to come back into the church where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Lord. I mean, they fell dead. We don't want people falling dead in the church. But then the fear of God came on the whole church in Jerusalem. And sometimes we need to get to a place where we say there must be a way of correction. We can't just have people standing, preaching one thing, living another. Biblically, that's not right. And I just agree with my brother. If it's a Bible, Bible-based, Bible-preaching church, at least they should have a standard of principles according to the word, not according to their opinions. Tim, you made mention of it in the last days. People will gather unto themselves, preachers to soothe their ears. What does the world mean when they call us hypocrites? Aren't we supposed then to live by a different standard? And can this problem be solved? Sure. There is a clear solution that God gives us in His Word. His Word is everything we need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us, and Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, it's, it's God's Word is enough. It's breathed out by Him. It's profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. So the man of God can be equipped for every good work. The Word of God is able to do the work of God in this world and through the church. Uh, otherwise, I would have no hope and uh, no authority as a pastor or us as elders as we shepherd the flock that the Lord has entrusted to us. But when the world says, uh, you're hypocrites, I have a three-part answer. First of all, define hypocrisy. Let's define that according to Scripture. And then uh, expect hypocrisy. And then reject hypocrisy. That's that's the biblical answer. We need to define it. It's not just saved sinners who are still growing in Christ and who are far from perfect. Uh, hypocrisy in the Bible is literally the Greek word. is a uh, hypocritos. They're stage actors. They're pretenders and fakes and frauds. And hell is a place of the hypocrites, Jesus says in, in Matthew twenty four fifty one, And he rebukes hypocrisy. Uh, and we should define it. We need to expect it. Jesus said, there's going to be hypocrites in church buildings and who profess the name of Christ, but the Lord knows those who are His, Second Timothy 2.19. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so we define hypocrisy, we expect hypocrisy, and then we reject it. We need the Lord's most stinging rebukes in the Old and New Testament are against dead religion and spiritual pretenders. And uh, we need to call those people to repent and um but we need to start with the speck in our own eye as well and humble ourselves and ask the Lord to search our hearts. It's always amazing when we see these things happening on the front pages of the newspaper, the accusations against church and church leaders. Christians are the first to jump on the bandwagon and point fingers, especially with advent of social media. What would your advice be to Christians, those who say that they are Christians and who use social media to criticize, what would you say to those people, Neville? It's interesting. One morning, we as pastors got together, and one of the pastors we knew was living in adultery, and we had a prophet come in, and the prophet went straight to this pastor. And in our hearts, we thought, man, he's going to give it to him. And he stood in front of the man, and he says, I see you were 17 years old when the Lord called you into ministry, and the Lord says, I miss you. 
And I think for the first time, I really understood Romans 2, 4, that the goodness of God leads to repentance. This man started crying, left the meeting, went and broke off the adulterous relationship, came back and repented, and he was restored. So there are times when, like Jesus, you know, will you cast the first stone? And it's so easy to cast the stone. So there must be something of the goodness of God. But if people do not respond, then there has to come a sowing and a reaping principle because God is not mocked. What we sow, we will reap. And we can't be representing the truth, standing for the truth, and then living a lie. If, if I have, for instance, an argument with my wife before the service, I can't get on the pulpit. I go and rectify that first. And I say, I'm sorry, because I've got to get on the pulpit. And if I've got a dagger in my heart, how will I minister grace and love and peace? But then a person has to realize wrong is wrong. And if a person goes to the doctor and there's a cancer cell, and the doctor says, well, let's just care for the cancer cell. The whole body can become cancerous. So the doctor will isolate that, cut that out. And we have to understand that Romans one twenty says natural things type spiritual. So at times, um, judgment is needed. Like our brother said in the house of God, we can't not have a form of judgment of cutting out the cancer and letting it spread. We have to deal with it because we'll stand accountable before the Lord if we do not deal with it. Tim, finally, your advice to the modern-day church, the Bride of Christ, with regards to our testimony, the responsibility not to be a stumbling block unto our brothers, our sisters, but indeed unto the world. Thank you, Van Ant, again for this opportunity, and just grateful for uh, God's Word that clearly uh, warns us and uh, diagnoses these problems and offers us uh, His solutions. And it's His church. Christ is ahead. It's not my church. Uh, I didn't die for the flock to rise again. It's Christ alone. It's in His authority that we speak. And uh, I think a couple of warnings come to mind, uh, Vaynant. First of all, uh, churches have to stop restoring fallen church leaders, uh, uh, even if it's months or years later, if they have uh, disqualified themselves permanently by uh, their a lifestyle that uh, removes any credible platform to speak with moral authority. Uh, they are no longer blameless. Uh, in that community, sometimes for life, and a church needs to trust God to provide other leaders and not be so hasty. Scripture warns about laying hands on a, a man very slowly and carefully in First Timothy 5. And so many leaders should never have been restored after adultery or a major doctrinal or moral error or heresy. They need to, the churches need to have enough love to not rejoice in evil, but rejoice in the truth, and, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and have a love that's discerning, Philippians 1. And um, and then we need to practice church discipline, according to Matthew 18, and follow the steps Jesus laid out for restoring those who stray. Uh, and if they will not repent, then uh, as a final step, uh, as, uh, that they have to be removed. And uh, and just practicing church membership, where we uh, guard the front door of the church, and we only allow members who are truly converted and have truly repented, and they're not coming to Jesus for prosperity and success and and breakthroughs in life, but they're coming to have their sin forgiven and to repent and believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Neville, your final thoughts are not to be a stumbling block unto others. Well, there's something about John the Baptist, and you know, it's, it's sad where God had to raise up John the Baptist, and he had to say to the preachers of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you sons of snakes. And he said, where's the fruit of your repentance? So there's something of um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, I agree with my brother there. We have to have a certain standard of setting things right. Otherwise, you know, in the seven churches or in the book of Revelation, if things were not set right, and I don't want to go into the detail of that, the Lord says he'll remove your candlestick. So I can go on preaching, but uh, if I had to stand back for a season because of a thing, we always say to people who were caught in the act of adultery or whatever, uh, that there is forgiveness with the Lord. There is 70 times, times 7 forgiveness. But then the Lord says, go and sin no more. So there has to be a correction, a period of correction, and then a period of restoration, and then a period of reappointment. Um, I always tend to go to the grace side, because if there's not grace, where would the murderer on the cross have found grace in the eyes of Jesus when he said, think of me when you come into your kingdom? But we can't, uh, it's not easy believism. People say, but what are you saying? I'm saying, look, salvation is for free. Forgiveness is for free, but it cost our Savior his life. And because it cost him his life, to you to follow him, you've got to pick up your cross daily, die to self. And if there's an area you need deliverance in, then come for deliverance so we can deal with the problem and that you can get up and be set free and then follow the Lord in the freeness and liberty of the Spirit. Because only where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's true liberty, it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17. So where the Spirit of the Lord is Lord, there's true freedom. There can't be freedom where my opinion or where I think something should be is Lord. The Spirit of the Lord, and He will witness with the Word. It is clear that through this discussion, you and I as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, has a huge responsibility with regards to our testimony and not to be a stumbling block unto a dying world. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your participation, Pastor Tim Cantrell and also Pastor Neville Norden. Thank you so much, Bernard. Thank you, Bernard. We appreciate that.